Welcome to A Writer's Explorations. This is a podcast for writers and editors of short fiction and novels to learn about editing, submitting and revision. I'm your host Yasa Moin, a practicing editor myself, and here's the show. Our guest of the week is Jeremy Bai, a translator of Chinese fantasy novels. and if you've been a reader of those uh, then you'd recognize probably his most famous translation work i shall seal the heavens originally from san diego california he spent 8 years in china and is a father to one yes ah uh, thanks for having me i'm really excited to be here and i look forward to sharing a little bit about what i know perhaps uh, the first question i should ask you is what are the different genres in chinese fantasy and a gist of what they are about in terms of the chinese fantasy that's available for western readers right now there are basically three main subcategories i actually have a video on my youtube channel that goes into a lot of detail about this i don't want to go on and on right here so if you want a more detailed explanation you can go to youtube.com/deathblade it's one of the first videos you'll see on the channel there Basically, in terms of the high fantasy, there are two main genres called xianxia and xuanhuan, and those are the two main ones. A lot of times, they actually are kind of mixed together in terms of the terms being used for one or the other. Even in the Chinese media and on Chinese websites, sometimes novels that are obviously xianxia will be described as xuanhuan, and xuanhuan tends to be sort of like a blanket description for a lot of the types of fantasy genres that are sort of. Chinese homegrown genres. That said, there is a distinction between the two. Xianxia tends to be the most Chinese, has a lot of elements from Chinese religion, philosophy, and mythology, whereas Xuanhuan draws a lot more from the western side as well, or at least the non-Chinese side. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two, and for most people I would basically say you don't really need to worry about it. But if I was going to kind of boil it down into a nutshell, I would say that On the Xianxia side, the true Chinese high fantasy cultivation, and when I say cultivation, what I mean is immortal cultivation, because the characters practice a type of spiritual cultivation that eventually leads to them being immortals or gods. That genre has a lot of stuff that is purely Chinese and is going to be harder to translate and sometimes harder to understand for people who are new to the Chinese fantasy genre. On the other hand, Xuanhuan tends to be more accessible. A lot of times the characters will even have western names. My recommendation for that genre is going to be Coiling Dragon, which you can get on Amazon right now. It's in Kindle Unlimited. The character names are western names. That's how the author wrote it in Chinese. And it's definitely more of a gateway into the Chinese fantasy stuff than the Xianxia stuff which can be a little bit harder or a little bit less palatable for the western reader. And the third genre is wuxia or to make it a little bit easier to pronounce I usually just say wuxia when I'm speaking English and this is the martial arts fiction. Some people argue whether or not this is fantasy. My opinion is that it is fantasy just as the princess bride would probably be considered fantasy, but it is not high fantasy. It's essentially the super-powered martial arts world of ancient China. And this is a genre that goes back many, many decades, and if you want to kind of make the argument that it existed even before that, you could go back thousands of years in terms of the early forms. and this is a lot more grounded in reality although there is a very fantastic element to it for the listeners uh, these are the spellings of the genres jeremy just mentioned in case you are taking notes wuxia w 
यू एक्स आई ए शहनशाह एक्स आई ए एन एक्स आई ए शनवन एक्स यू ए एन एच यू ए एन आई ऑलवेज हैव डिफिकल्टी लाइक विद प्रोनाउंसिंग द लास्ट वन सो एज फॉर द सेकेंड क्वेश्चन आई रियली अप्रिशिएट इट इफ यू कुड रीड अ पैरा और टू फ्रॉम वन ऑफ योर ट्रांसलेशन वर्कस और योर ओन नॉवल something that will give the listeners an idea of what they are getting into with this fantasy fantasy genre so i would love to read something what i'm going to do is i'm going to read something from my second major sensia cultivation novel which was called a will eternal now the problem with this is that these novels are so massive that it's really hard to pick just a couple paragraphs that can really show the the what the genre can do what i'm going to pick is something from chapter 837 and this novel has a total of about 1300 chapters so this is a little bit more than halfway through i would say that it's getting toward the end of act 2 of like the major or overarching story and the reason i'm picking this passage is because it gives a little bit of an insight a little bit of a glimpse into the crazy stuff that can happen in these novels the novels start out with the characters being mortal and then they slowly cultivate their way toward immortality toward becoming gods and so obviously they have immense powers eventually you know they can destroy planets and create planets and even beyond that solar systems galaxies and universes so this passage is from a it's still grounded on earth but it's getting to the point where the fights are getting really really crazy these are the kind of fights that i think you won't usually see outside of animation it'd be really hard even in animation to capture this unless it was done right let, let alone with CGI it would be difficult to make it look really cool so anyway this is a fight scene some of the stuff is going to be a little bit to a little bit difficult to grasp without the context but i think you'll be able to get most of it so here we go that was when all of a sudden an enormous rift appeared in the sky it was fully 3000 meters long and looked almost like a gigantic eye As the eye stared out at the gravekeeper, cold and emotionless, a second rift opened up, then a third and a fourth. In the briefest of moments, countless rifts open up in the sky, revealing numerous eyes. All of them were cold and emotionless, and all of them stared directly at the gravekeeper. This development led to widespread shock among the onlookers. As for the grand heaven master, his face fell, and he blurted, "The celestial!" In that same moment that his voice echoed out, the countless eyes blinked, sending numerous beams of sword light shooting out toward the gravekeeper. It was impossible to count exactly how many beams of sword light there were. The sky seemed filled with them until that light surpassed everything else. It was like a web of swords that immediately slashed into the enormous hand of lightning and began to tear it to pieces. That hand contained the converged power of heaven and earth. and therefore only a similar power could affect it and in this world there was only one person other than the gravekeeper who could use such power he was the celestial from heaven span island rumbling booms filled the wildlands causing the ground to shake and the sky to vibrate the innumerable beams of sword light sliced the gigantic hand apart saving the girl and then proceeding on to attack the gravekeeper himself the gravekeeper turned his head his eyes flickering with profound light he didn't seem surprised at all as though he had been expecting the celestial to arrive lifting his hand toward the incoming sword light 
he spoke in an ancient voice. Thunder. Again, it was only one word. However, as it left his mouth, it grew in volume until it was like a roar uttered by countless voices. Vengeful souls and living beings, voluntary or not, all shouted the same word in their hearts. The Grand Heaven Master, the Giant Ghost King, Chan Hao Song, and the other demigods and devas, all of them did the same. The sound reached an unbelievable level in a short time. Heaven shook and earth trembled, and ripples spread out everywhere. As for the incoming sword light, as soon as it encountered those sound waves, it began to shatter into something that looked like innumerable tiny stars. Okay, I'm going to stop there because the fight keeps going on and on for a while. I do want to point out that I left out a few lines here and there to kind of leave out some of the stuff that wouldn't make sense unless you had been reading the novel. So hopefully that gives a little bit of a clue to the kind of stuff that can happen with gigantic hands and lightning and thunder and stuff that is just beyond fantastic. And that's why people like these novels, because they're just so crazy and interesting. What are some books that you recommend for Western readers uh, to start with uh, to begin reading Chinese fantasy? And where can they read those? I did mention Coiling Dragon earlier. That's a great one for the cultivation novels. Again, it's on Amazon, Coiling Dragon, and that's a really good one that a lot of people swear by. My earlier projects are all the Xianxia that I mentioned earlier, whereas Coiling Dragon is Xuanhuan. So I generally don't recommend my early projects, although I do have one that's basically a cult favorite that a lot of people really, really love, and that's called I Shall Seal the Heavens. Right now, that's in the editing process. Cover Cover art is done as of the recording of this podcast, but I'm not sure when it will be up on Amazon. So I can't recommend it, recommend that yet. It is available to read on Wuxia World, but it's the unedited version. So if you're interested in that, wait for a little bit until it's available on Amazon. In terms of, of Wuxia, man, there's a lot to read, but unfortunately most of it is uh, unauthorized, unlicensed fan translations. For example, I have, an, I have a translation on Wuxia World that is unlicensed at the moment, but I would recommend it because it's so short, and that's called Seven Killers, the numeral seven and then Killers. It's a pretty short novel, so if you have never read any Wuxia, I think it's a good way to break into it. And then if you go onto Amazon and just search for Wuxia, you'll pull up a few things. Unfortunately, the stuff that's available on Amazon is very, very limited. There is an official translation of Legend of the Condor Heroes that is available. It's not complete, but it will be eventually. I have some issues with that translation, but I think that for the general reader, it's probably a suitable place to start. And that is a very, very classic novel. So Condor Heroes that you can find on Amazon. Another one on Amazon that's worth checking out is The Deer and the Cauldron. That is another classic by the same author as Condor Heroes. It is really, really great. It's mostly a comedy. This, the only downside to that novel is that it was the author's final work. He basically wrote a, a whole bunch of Wuxia novels, and then this was his final novel. After it, he never did anything again, and he kind of used it as sort of a foil to the rest of his work because the main character is sort of not really an anti-hero, but he is sort of the opposite of what the typical Wuxia hero would be. So the typical Wuxia hero is a righteous swordsman who upholds virtue and you know fights for the people, 
whereas the main character of the deer in the cauldron is essentially a scoundrel who never really learns martial arts and kind of lies and cheats his way through the martial arts world. So it's a great novel. It, I read it as one of my very first ones, so I would say it's definitely worth reading. There are issues that I have with the translation, and it would probably be a lot more interesting to somebody who is familiar with the genre because they can see the tropes kind of turned upside down. And so that's pretty much all I have in terms of the recommendations. Having said all that, you can also go to my YouTube channel, and there's a video I have called my top five wuxia recommendations and there i go into a lot more detail about my favorites and if you go into the comments of that video you'll see a lot of other people recommending novels mostly the cultivation side the xianxia and xianhuan because in the video i said hey uh, for any of you out there who are interested in those novels check out the comments so that's another good resource if you're interested in finding stuff to read something i'd like to add uh, is that it's possible to directly write and upload your own wuxia or xianxia novel in uh increments in english uh, via the web novel app the moonquill app or the royal road website but that aside your very first time translating a novel what was that like my first translation well that could probably be split into uh, two answers the first is the short version which is uh, my first translation was seven killers which i just recommended a moment ago I did that many, many years ago, originally in an attempt to improve my reading ability in Chinese. I am a language learner, not a native speaker, and so therefore I got into translating originally just to improve my Chinese. So that project was very fun. I spent a lot of time going very slowly through every single Chinese character to make sure that I got it accurate. So that was my first translation. It was very fun, and the subsequent translations uh, that I have, you can find them all on my website, which is jeremybuy.com. That's B-A-I, jeremybuy.com. I have links to all of them. Basically, they were all very fun, kind of relaxed side projects that I did. But I Shall Seal the Heavens, which I also mentioned a moment ago, was my first initial really big professional project, I guess you could say. When I first started it, I wasn't doing it full time and I wasn't really making any money off of it. But that time period was when this sort of translation scene exploded. And so it very quickly turned into something that I was doing for money. And then eventually I started doing it full time. I became a translator full time. And that project, I Shall Seal the Heavens, over the two year period that I translated it, I mean, it's a big novel, not even really a novel, it's really a series. It's 1600 chapters. It's about the length of the wheel of time. That was really a life changing event. So a minute or two is not enough to go into all of the ups and downs and ins and outs and how it really changed me. But suffice to say, it was really a life-changing event to get into that novel. And from that point, my life definitely took a different turn, and I've been doing the translation thing ever since. You are huge on tabletop role-playing games. And not too long ago, you even introduced your son to one called Hero Kids. What's the next one you have in mind for him? Yeah, I would say I'm pretty much a lifelong gamer, and so I'm kind of hoping to instill that into my son as well. You know, if he doesn't end up liking games, that's his thing, but he actually was really interested in Hero Kids. He loved it, even though I don't think he totally understood what was going on. He's only four. Just this evening, actually, right before recording this podcast, we were playing Risk Jr., which is a very simplified version of the game Risk. I was a big fan of Risk when I was uh, younger. I kind of moved beyond that to games like Axis and Allies, a little bit more complex and mature, I guess you could say. In terms of what game I'm going to introduce him to next, I'm really going to just play it by ear. 
you can't force little kids to play big kid games because they don't get them. And so whatever seems right for the moment, I'm going to introduce to him. And then whatever he likes to, I'll cater toward that. So if he ends up going down the route of liking things such as risk and strategy and that sort of thing, I'll go down that route. If he likes the role-playing stuff, storytelling type things, I'll go down that road as well. I'm a big Dungeons & Dragons fan. So it really just depends on what he's interested in, I think. I actually taught children for many years, and I can tell you that children are all different. Some like this thing, some like that thing. And my personal philosophy is that when parents try to force their kid to like one thing or the other, I really don't think that ever turns out very well in the very, very end. So I just hope to sort of cater to his likes and needs and then do as best I can based on what I discover that he is interested in. You've recently written your very own novel, Legends of Ogre Gate. I took a look at it and you've done a very good job of introducing the concept of cultivation in it uh, for newbies to this genre. Please share some behind the scenes of what the writing process was like and the obstacles you faced while writing it. So yeah, Legends of Ogre Gate. Well, originally I published that in serialized form on Wusha World. I did, a, I think, two chapters a week for however long it took me to do the entire thing. And the thing about that novel is it is it is an original novel, but it's based on a tabletop role-playing game called Wandering Heroes of Ogre Gate. And it is essentially the novelization of the in-world mythology. So I was a fan of the game. I was actually part of the playtesting group of that game, and I knew some of the myth, and I knew some of the mythology that the game creators had invented for this universe. And I thought it was so compelling and interesting that I proposed to them to do a novel of it, and they agreed. And so that was a really difficult project because I was doing it alongside full-time translating. I wouldn't recommend doing that to anybody because it's really it's very it's a lot mentally to be able to do that. And it was also very difficult because instead of creating everything on my own, I was actually referencing some existing work. So although I had almost complete creative freedom to do what I wanted with the characters, I did have to keep it accurate to the geography that they had created, the the history that they had created, and of course the game mechanics that they had created as well. So that posed a lot of challenges on that side. In the end, I really liked it, and I'm also very happy with the final result. Every time I pick up the novel Legends of Overgate and I kind of look at a certain part, I say, oh, what, what did I write here? And then I start reading, and I, all of a sudden I'm sucked into it, and I forget I forget time, and I, and I look up you know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour later, and I've been reading the entire time. So I really do like that novel, and I'll, of course that is available on Amazon as well if you're interested in checking it out. Now that you have written a Chinese fantasy novel, what would you say to an English writer to keep in mind if they try to experiment uh, with writing in this genre? I think I have two bits of advice for people who are interested in writing their own Chinese fantasy novel, whether that's a traditional Wuxia novel, whether that's a Xianxia novel, or whether it's some kind of fusion. I think that the main thing is to read a lot. And I've read a lot of books about how to be a writer and before I go any further, I do want to point out I don't view myself as being like some amazing writer or something. You know, I'm not Stephen King. I've read Stephen King's book on writing. I really am a fan of it, and I'm pretty sure he mentioned this in his book, but maybe it's another writing book that I'm thinking about in terms of reading a lot. You just have to read a lot. You really need to read Chinese fantasy novels a lot if you want to write in that genre. If you want to write in that genre. You cannot just read one or two and then go off and do your own thing and then have it be authentic. Now, if you don't care about it being authentic and you just want to emulate some things, that's fine. But in the current day and age, you know, that's risky. 
you definitely might have people who call you on doing things that are inaccurate or maybe inappropriate, perhaps offensive in some way. So definitely the first element is to do a lot of reading to make sure that you are familiar with the genre tropes and how things work in those novels. Then the other thing I would say is to do a lot of research. That goes for both language and culture and mythology. There are plenty of resources online. There are a lot of resources in print that you can get. You need to spend some time researching and finding out the deeper information. You need to find out the behind the scenes about why certain things exist in Chinese fantasy novels. There are some very, very popular Western writers who have done their own sort of cultivation novels, and I usually find them to be, for me, a little bit flat because what they do is they take a lot of the tropes that they don't like from the Chinese novels and they get rid of them because they think, oh, that's not realistic or it doesn't make sense. But some of those things are so culturally integrated into Chinese culture that if you take them out, it turns it into something that's not Chinese. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that if you want to write something that's just kind of vaguely inspired by it, but it's your own thing and it makes more sense for the Western audience, and that's totally fine. It makes a lot of sense. But then in that case, don't go and say, oh, this is a Chinese fantasy novel, this is a Xianxia novel, this is a Wuxia novel, except it's missing all of the most important cultural aspects. For someone aspiring to take the same path as you, and become a translator for Chinese fantasy novels. Where do you suggest they start and what should their first move be? I do get the question a lot of how to get into translating. I think, first of all, for people who don't speak or read Chinese and they're like, I really want to be a Chinese translator. Well, obviously the first thing you got to do is learn Chinese and that is not an easy task. It is something that is going to take you many years to, to get good at whether it's in terms of speaking or reading, you're going to have to put a lot of time into study and practice before you can get anywhere close to being a translator. So if you have no Chinese ability right now, then that's where you got to start. Now, if you are a perhaps a native speaker of Chinese who thinks, oh, I want to make some money translating into English, or maybe you are somebody who has been studying Chinese for a while and you're interested in getting into it, it's something that can be very rewarding, but it can be very difficult Literary translation is very difficult to make money at. And in terms of the sort of pulp fiction cultivation novels that I translate and that many other people make money translating at, it's getting harder and harder to get into that as the genre becomes more and more popular. So I just encourage you to start sending out resumes, contacting people, and just doing everything you can to try to get your foot in the door. You can always give a shot at translating some things uh, that are not licensed. So find something that's on the Chinese internet that is being written that nobody's translated and you'll put up a WordPress or just start posting somewhere to try to get attention, get some experience. That's a good way to kind of get your feet wet and try to see if it's the thing, if it's something for you. All in all, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this as a career path because again, it's very, very difficult. But that said, it can be rewarding and it can also be great for you if you are learning Chinese to be able to improve your reading level and your comprehension level and your vocabulary. I have a mad respect for teachers as I've done a little tutoring myself. So I'm curious, how was your experience as a teacher in China? Uh, and uh, can you share a story uh, from those times? Well, I was a teacher for, I would say, seven of the eight years that I was in China. The last year, I was focused fully on translating, but the first seven were all teaching, and I would say six of those I was teaching children. It was really a great experience. I really, really loved it, especially early on. Toward the end, it became difficult because I was juggling a new kid 
translating full-time and teaching full-time. It was crazy. I don't know how I handled it. But in the early years when it was less stressful, I had a really, really great time. And especially teaching kids is a really, really rewarding experience. I have a million stories. I guess if I was going to share just one, it would be particularly relevant to this subject. And I've never really told any about anybody about this. But as a project for one of my higher level classes, these were kids that are about maybe between 9 and 11 years old with really, really good English uh, for being in China and never having traveled overseas. I mean, they were really, really good with English. I did a part where I had them all write a story and we did it. We didn't just, you know, it wasn't just write a story in class. I would do that kind of thing a lot. I actually had them plan out this story, plan out the characters, the plot, and even draw pictures and stuff. And it was very fun. And one of the most interesting things was that a lot of the tropes that you read about in the Wuxia novels, the cultivation novels, they found their way into these kids' writing. Now, these kids are not fans of, of those kind of novels, but it just goes to show that the same kind of things you read about in the novels are so culturally relevant that even when 10 or 11-year-old kids who don't watch those TV shows really and don't read those novels will hit, still have those same kind of things show up in the stories that they tell. And I found that to be very, very interesting. Finally, I leave the stage to you, Jeremy. Feel free to talk about anything you wanna and also let the audience know where they can find you on social media. Well, I just want to thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. For anybody that's interested in my work or my social media stuff, you can just go to my website, which is jeremybai.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-A-I.com. And there are links there to all my social media, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. Final thing I would like to say is that I have a tabletop role-playing game similar to Dungeons & Dragons uh, that I wrote. Uh, took about two years to write it, and it's being published by Osprey Publishing. They're a big game publisher. The genre is wuxia, so it is a it is a kind of an old school wuxia tabletop role playing game. I don't think anything really like it exists out there, at least as published by a major publisher. So this is going to be a really big thing. It's already available for pre purchase on Amazon and Barnes Noble and wherever else you you buy your books online. The name of the game is Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades. I'm really proud of it, and you can find plenty more information about that on my website as well. So that's pretty much it. And again, I want to thank you very much for having me on. It was a blast.